Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up and let's get started on today's podcast. Today's expert guest is the one and only Dr. Stacey Sims, famously known for her quote, women are not small men. Dr. Sims is an exercise physiologist, nutrition scientist, and author of Raw, a book dedicated to matching your food and fitness to your unique female physiology for optimum performance, great health, and a strong lean body for life. Dr. Sims is currently a senior research scientist at the University of Waikato, where she is an applied researcher, innovator, and entrepreneur in human performance, specifically sex differences in training, nutrition, and environmental conditions. Today's podcast will focus on nutrition science for the unique female physiology. Head on over to social media and give her a follow at Dr. Stacey Sims. That's Dr. with a D-R, Stacey Sims. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nutra Organics, one of my favorite Australian whole food companies who provide a range of organic, honest whole food products to nourish you and your family. You can follow them on social media at Nutra Organics. And let's jump straight into today's incredible podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Stacey. I'm very excited to have you back on. Now, we um, did an initial podcast really focusing around the female um, physiology and training as well. And this one will be a little bit more nutrition focused. So for anybody who hasn't listened to the first podcast with Dr. Stacey Sims, I'd encourage you to go back and have a really good listen to that one first and then come back and have a, have a listen to this one we're about to do today. So welcome back, Dr. Stacey. Thanks. It's great to be back. I appreciate it. And I'm going to launch straight in and hit you with the hard questions from, from right now. And I'd love to know your feelings and your thoughts around um, just cravings around that time of our menstrual cycle. A lot of women really find this as more of like a detriment to their fat loss goals. Like, oh, I'm about to get my period. I'm craving more carbohydrates. It's so bad, bad me kind of thing. Like they see it in a really negative way. How can we change women's views around this so that they're working with their natural physiology and learn to embrace this additional? you know feelings of a little bit more hungry a little bit more carbohydrate around their cycle yeah uh, because your body needs it really um mm. so we know that from like the physiological standpoint your body's building tissue i mean that's the whole idea it's building uterine lining and that takes energy so it takes uh, micronutrients magnesium and zinc like i talked about in the last podcast but it also increases our energy needs not a massive amount, maybe 150 calories a day, but that's enough to tip some people over to the I'm ravenous. If they're not used to eating enough for in general, right? And then you have this extra bit of calorie that your body's like, I need it. And the carbohydrate craving is because our body wants carbohydrate. We're using more body fat every time we go exercise. We're using more free fatty acids and not carbohydrate. And our body's like, wait a second, I need carb to build tissue. I need carb for, um, you know, cognition, reaction time. My brain needs glucose. And there's a high level of circulating fatty acids instead. So the carbohydrate craving is because physiologically your body needs it. So give in. And the reason why a lot of women are like, I need chocolate, chocolate, chocolate is because 
the um, magnesium aspect of dark chocolate uh, is is really part of it. Like your body wants magnesium. So some of the cravings we can actually quantify now, um, knowing that your body needs magnesium. It wants to feel good because we have this hypersensitivity of, of serotonin. So the feel good factor of some of the, um, the flavonoids in chocolate, as well as the magnesium all work with our physiology. And so the craving aspect is because your body's wanting it. Um, from a from a realistic point of view. So give in, have a little bit. It's fine. It's not going to be detrimental to your fat loss. Definitely. Absolutely love it. And in terms of um, a numbers game, I know a lot of people really like specific. It's around, it's only a few extra hundred calories that your body sort of does um, require around the time of your cycle, isn't it? About 200 from memory? Yeah. Yeah. At the high end. Right. And I remember you saying in your book that equates to sort of like a small chocolate bar as well. So it's sort of one of those things where it is actually completely okay to include a little bit more of a little bit of chocolate or carbohydrate around the time of your cycle as well. Because as you said, your body does, it can't, it's asking for it almost. Exactly. And if you're trying to do any kind of high intensity work, um, because it's in a program or you can't really modify what you're doing, you need a little bit of carbohydrate to actually hit those high intensities because your body needs it and wants it. So by the nature of trying to do higher intensity stuff, as well as your body building tissue, you have this higher requirement for carbohydrate. Now, I know you have a very strong view in terms of females and carbohydrates as well, particularly because carbohydrate is the easiest fuel for women to utilize during training. And you would have seen the big trend on social media, low carb, keto, etc. What are your views and feelings around females and um, low carbohydrate diets and keto diets? I'm not a fan purely from a gut health perspective as well. Um, and also, I believe that you know some of the wonderfully healthy foods are carbohydrates as well. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on keto and low carb diet for females. How much time do we have for the podcast? <laughs> um, in summary. <laughs> yeah. So in summary, um, so, uh, I mean, I spent a lot of time giving talks about this because it is, I mean, I see the trend and I see so many people are like keto, 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 but I also mm -hmm. see a lot of clients are like, I don't understand what's going on. I'm following keto. I'm following the low carb, high fat. I'm getting tired. I'm getting fat. I'm getting, um, irritable, everything is not working for me. What is going on? And there's quite a few different reasons from a physiological and biological perspective. Number one uh, is a key factor called kisspeptin. Now, kisspeptin is um, a, a co-transport mechanism really, I guess is the easiest layperson to say, which signals our endocrine system to manufacture luteinizing hormone, follicular stimulating hormone, progesterone, estrogen, all of our endocrine hormones. And it's very sensitive to low carbohydrate. So if we don't have adequate carbohydrate, kispeptin is turned down which means that we don't develop or aren't producing our steroid hormones. So we tend to flatten out in our, in our hormones. If we flatten out in our hormones, it puts us in a starvation mode. And if we think about, you know, hunter gatherer days or back in the, the tribal aspect where you had to find food, it was not advantageous for women to reproduce in times of famine. So our hormones shut down. We put on more body fat to conserve for a time when it would be more appropriate to reproduce. So by the nature of not having enough carbohydrate, you're affecting that whole cascade chain of, of endocrine function. Um, and then even to make it more like layperson oriented, 
when we look at the original research that the keto diet was done for, or the low-carb, high-fat diet, it was all men in a clinical population that needed to lose weight for either surgery or needed to lose weight for um, insulin control and, and diabetes control. Um, and now we know that it does does benefit um, individuals who had traumatic brain injury or have um, epilepsy. But when you start taking that into the athletic environment and it's not high performance, being an athlete is someone who purposely goes out and exercises for the benefit of gaining fitness adaptations. It's not appropriate for women. Um, it causes that downregulation in cispeptin and all of our endocrine function. It also um, increases our sympathetic drive, whereas in men, it increases the parasympathetic drive. Uh, it decreases our um, cognition and reaction time because this is a brain fog. So there's so many ramifications of not having enough carbohydrate, not only from a health standpoint, but that energy level and that feel good factor are all affected when we do not get enough carbohydrate. For men, it's a completely different story. You look at performance factors, you look at um, you know the clinical environment, and it works fine because they don't have the sensitivity of kispeptin. They don't have this fine line of endocrine for reproduction. Um, they have more issues with low energy availability and low carbohydrate in that sense, where you'll have a drop off of testosterone, but not to the extent of the damage it does in women. Um, so I get really frustrated with female athletes who are like, I'm doing keto to become metabolically flexible. It's like by the nature of, of being a human being and exercising, you're metabolically flexible. You're metabolically inflexible when you are in a clinical scope and you have diabetes and you don't have insulin sensitivity or you are insulin resistance resistant with PCOS. So the clinical population is different from the athletic and healthy population, but you have this line that always gets blurred and it just really gets under my skin, as you can tell, when you have this perpetual, like, let's do keto, let's do low carb, high fat, let's do intermittent fasting. Because yeah, they work great in that clinical world. But when you pull it over to female, healthy female athletes, it's a completely different story. And it's detrimental to both health and performance. Ladies, you heard it from Dr. Stacey herself. Carbs are good, but it was always around, you know, the type of carbohydrate and the quality of our carbohydrate, which I know that you go through extensively in your book as well. Yes. So in terms of um, a general sort of recommendation for carbohydrate, around 40% of, I guess, the daily calorie intake, 40 to 45%, would you say that's where you sort of rough, roughly state your guidelines as well in terms of carbohydrate intake? If we're looking at pre-menopause, yeah. But as we get into peri and postmenopause, we have to be very conscious of the type of carbohydrate and how much. Um, mm -hmm. So I try to, to downturn the amount of carbohydrate from peri and postmenopausal women to closer to that 40%, not the 45, and upping the proteins and fats. Now, for perimenopausal women, I mean, sorry, premenopausal women, that higher intake of carbohydrate. It, is very beneficial. And again, it's low on the food chain. The more colorful um, fruit and veg that you're eating as carbohydrate intake is the best kind of carbohydrate you can have. Um, and you can cycle it with your own menstrual cycle as well. So if your body's able to use more carbohydrate uh, in the low hormone phase, you can probably get by with a little bit lower carbohydrate intake because um, it's really effective at storing and using. In that high hormone phase, when your body's not 
quite able to access carbohydrate, you want to give it a little bit more so it has it available for the functions that it needs. I love it. Now, jumping ship to protein, I know particularly on social media and the weight loss industry, everybody's just protein obsessed. You know, I see protein potato chips, protein chocolate bars, protein, just protein everything. Now, I must admit, I am an advocate for increasing protein with um, women in particular um, who train, but also evenly distributing it throughout the day. But I do think that sort of the weight loss industry and social media has just gone a little bit bonkers in terms of protein. Um, I know that it is important for muscle protein synthesis and also those feelings of fullness and satiety. Um, If you're not eating enough protein, you're just not going to feel as full and satisfied after a meal. Um, I have seen you talk about um, a few other reasons for needing increased protein in women's diets as well. Did you want to chat to our listeners a little bit more around why you recommend protein and why it is so important for females? Yeah. And, you know, I laugh at the, you know, protein fortified everything because it's not about the protein fortification. It's about getting protein from real food, right? Um, Because we lack a lot of the cofactors to make micro macronutrients work if we're eating ultra processed foods. But when we look at the protein intake, and again, it comes back to like the guidelines for uh, women about how much protein they need. And they were all, all the guidelines, again, were derived from male participants or male needs and just kind of, oh, women should eat the lower end. But just this year, they've done some really cool studies looking at the specific needs for women doing resistance training, female um, athletes in endurance, and we need that higher end. And there's a couple of reasons why. Um, One, we know that muscle protein synthesis is different between men and women in the fact that we have to have a feedback mechanism. We have to get enough leucine to the brain as a woman to feed forward to the muscle to instigate this um, complex MTOR um, or MOTOR complex one to activate muscle protein synthesis. Whereas in men, it's a leucine in the muscle that does that. So by the nature of that, we need more protein post-exercise. And as we get older, um, and start to lose estrogen and progesterone in that peri and postmenopause state, we lose an anabolic stimulus. So we need more protein as well as high intensity resistance training to actually get muscle protein synthesis. Um, so we know that there's this difference between men and women. We also know there's a difference across the lifespan of, of active women for protein intake. We need more, we need it from, um, really good variety of food sources. And if you're in a pinch, then looking to use some protein powders, but very specific of what kind you use. So most of the vegan protein powders out there are not very beneficial for women because it doesn't have enough leucine in it to actually instigate that feed forward mechanism that we have with getting enough leucine to the brain. Um, And we also know that using a lot of the whey proteins out there They've been gaffed or filled with other fillers that are more anabolic agents and not really a pure um, whey isolate that's really beneficial from a leucine content. So when we think about protein and protein intake, yes, women need more across the board from by the time you're uh, hitting puberty all the way through the time you're 90 to 100 years old. Um, And then it's also the kinds of proteins that you're eating and when you're eating it. Uh, I have that eye to gut health as well. So the more supplements that we use, the less benefit we have to our gut. We also know that supplementation is not the same as real food because of all the cofactors in food that help things work. And humans are not as smart as nature. So we haven't been able to optimize and develop and understand all these cofactors. 
Sorry to interrupt this podcast. I'm sure you were learning so much from Dr. Stacy, but I wanted to take just 30 seconds out of this incredible podcast to tell you a little bit more about Nutra Organics, because without their generous sponsorship of the podcast, you wouldn't be hearing it right now. Nutra Organics is one of my favorite Australian whole food companies who provide a range of organic, honest whole food products to nourish you and your family. From plant-based, gut-friendly protein to collagen, superfood blends, whole food bars, kids' products and more, Nutra Organics source the highest quality ingredients to create the most delicious and nutritious products that are easy to incorporate into daily life and support your well-being. You can use the discount code that they have kindly offered for you guys, which is Leanne, L-E-A-N-N-E, for 15% off their range of whole food products. And check them out at www.neutralorganics.com.au. And again, that discount code is Leanne for 15% off their range. Now, let's get straight back to our podcast with Dr. Stacey. Now, talking about protein, um, in terms of protein powders, I'm a big fan of always whole food first, just like you are. But sometimes, particularly for, you know, women who might have kids or they're running out the door, they're late for work, um, a protein powder, particularly for breakfast time, I find is helpful for a few people just to boost the overall protein content of the meal. I use it as a as a part of a meal, never as a sort of a sole supplement. Um, I'm very much whole food focused, which I know you are as well. Now, when we're talking about the leucine content, it is around two, I think it's two to three grams of research shows, which is required to turn on that muscle protein synthesis, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yep, it is. Yeah. And we know that there's about two to two and a half and 20 grams of whey protein. So when we're talking about leucine content and grams of protein, it's almost always in research and social media um, measured against whey protein. Yeah. And when we think about a plant-based protein, for someone who might be following a plant-based lifestyle or they just, for some reason or another, don't tolerate or don't want to have a whey-based protein, I do always say that whey is superior. You're getting more bang for your buck. You know, you're getting more protein, more leucine for less calories, um, which is you know, always better for most people, particularly if their focus is on weight loss. Now, when it comes to a plant-based protein, I do see that a lot of companies are getting better and they're listing, you know, the leucine on the label. And a lot of them are aiming for that two to three grams. Um, if somebody is on a tighter energy budget, um, say they might be, um, I don't know, prepping for a bikini comp or something like that. And they're, um, they need to take a vegan based protein. Are you a fan of adding in a little bit of BCAs as well to just boost that overall, um, leucine content? Yeah, fermented branched-chain amino acids, because the fermented ones you know are vegan. If they're just plain BCAAs, then they most likely are not vegan. Um, so yeah, I'm, I am a fan of, of, of boosting the leucine content of a lot of the plant-based stuff with um, fermented branched-chain amino acids. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to get your thoughts around, I know I've heard you talk about on another podcast, um, pre-workout, and we know that we... Um, from a previous podcast, I think we did with you. Um, the last one you mentioned that training on uh, training fasted is not great for females. So it's always great to train with some fuel on board. We know that carbohydrates are the easiest fuel for the body to utilize, but you're also a believer in having a little bit of protein pre-workout as well, aren't you? Yeah. And it has to do with the available amino acid pool. If we are bringing protein in before we exercise, then our available amino acid pool across the board is greater. So recovery starts the minute we stop. Um, we also are able to keep neurotransmitters going because of the amino acid availability. Um, so we also know that taking some protein in dampens down cortisol. So you're going to have less cortisol 
in your system when you start exercising and then when you finish as well. So it all is in the eye of boosting cognition, boosting amino acid pool, boosting recovery. Um, so again, you're getting more bang for your buck. Mm-hmm. And any sort of specific amounts that you'd recommend pre-training, say if somebody trained really early in the morning, they might be going to CrossFit or like a hit or an F45 class and they might just have a small cup of juice or, or a half a banana or something before they go. That's their carbs taken care of. In terms of protein, would you recommend they pair that with, um, I don't know, <laughs> hit me, <laughs> what sort of um, examples would you give uh, and how much, I guess, protein pre-workout if it, it is coming out of a fasted state? Yeah. So, I mean, it's maybe 10 to 15 grams. So, I mean, you could look at taking a banana and putting on a couple of tablespoons of nut butter, which will hit you around that 10 grams. Um, if you're more of the protein powder oriented person, it's like a, one or two tablespoons and you can do your protein fortified coffee where you have a coffee, a cold brew, and you stir in a couple of tablespoons of protein powder and top it with some almond milk. Um, then it gives you a little bit of carbs from the sweetened almond milk, get a little protein, you get a little caffeine zing. Um, you can also look at having a couple of tablespoons of, of Greek yogurt um, with some honey or some or fruit. Um, so you're looking, yeah, you know, some small doses of protein and carbohydrates. So it's not a massive amount, might be 150 to 200 calories, but you're boosting blood sugar, you're reducing cortisol and increasing that amino acid pool. Mm-hmm. And is that particularly, is it more important, I guess, in a different phase of our cycle, or you would say it's important for females at all times when they train? Um, because it becomes very complex when you start dialing in nutrition across the cycle. I'm just going to say across the board, everyone should have it at all times of their cycle. And then if we want to be very specific for someone who has a specific goal, then we can look at how much you need in the low hormone versus the high hormone. Wonderful. And then really quickly, fats. We know even from a female's um, perspective, they are so important. They're healthy types of fats in our diet. Um, Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about, I guess, female physiology and why fat is important as well? Yeah. I mean, we know from previous podcasts and some conversations that we've had across the board that estrogen increases free fatty acid utilization. So that means it, it breaks down fat for fuel. Um, so not only do we need to have more fats in our diet with regards to how our hormones operate, if we're too low in fat, then we also are um, hitting a little bit more of that higher stress standpoint because your body's looking for it. And you know, talking about omega-3s, dampening inflammation, all of those healthy plant-oriented fats across the board help with reducing systemic inflammation. They help with the fueling mechanisms that we have with the uprise of estrogen. Um, And it's essential for so many different processes in the body from neurotransmitters to gut health to myelin sheath and nerve conduction. Um, So yeah, keep the fats coming. And from, a, I guess, a little bit more of a personalization perspective, every every female is different, obviously, depending on so many factors. But as a rough sort of guideline, do you generally recommend around sort of 25, 30% of healthy fats coming from our diet? Yeah. Or, I mean, if you're not one to be like cutting up percentage in your diet, you can hit around one gram of healthy fats per kilo body weight mm-hmm. per day. And that, you know, gives you, it's, and you know, if you're looking at portion sizes, it's about the size of your thumb. Um, so if you're cutting it up into portion sizes and, and you're going, well, how much is that? So, you know, the size of your thumb is about a tablespoon, which gives you about 12 to 14 grams. And so it's all that visual stuff. It's like, okay, it's 25%, 25 to 30%. 
um, or it's one gram per kilo, or it's, uh, you know, how many um, portions of fat do you need in a day for a meal when you know that a thumb size is that 12 to 14 grams? Very, very practical recommendations. Now, we did talk a little bit in the last podcast around supplements, particularly in terms of minimizing PMS symptoms. Uh, We talked a little bit about zinc, magnesium, omega-3, and the baby aspirin. Any other supplements um, that you feel from a female perspective are important at certain times of our cycles at all? No, I don't. Um, the only time I ever recommend supplements is if there is something specific that comes back in blood work. Uh, for a few reasons, we know more and more research is coming out in particular on vitamin D. And there's been some really interesting research that's come out and saying, yeah, you can boost your nutrient intake by using supplements, but from a mechanism of action standpoint within the body, they don't do anything. Um, so like someone who is, um, perpetually anemic and we're like, Whoa, what's going on? Uh, it comes from an iron absorption issue. Well, it has to do with, um, inflammation that hits the gut, uh, post-exercise It upregulates this enzyme called hepcidin. And when hepcidin is elevated, you can't absorb iron. So it's about dampening inflammation, not about supplementing with iron, um, iron supplements because it's just not going to help. So you can look at increasing vitamin D foods, um, you can increase turmeric, you can do a whole bunch of things to downregulate that inflammation so that your body can absorb iron. Uh, and, you know, you hear about so many women who have iron deficiency and supplements aren't working, and there's a whole bunch of factors for it. Um, but the magnesium and the zinc supplementation, the omega-3s, all that kind of stuff, you can either do it through pure supplements uh, or you can do it through food and, and it's pretty easy to get those amounts through food. If you're looking at, you know, increasing pumpkin seed intake, um, for magnesium and you can increase your flaxseed and chia seeds for omega threes. And, um, you can look at increasing some of the dairy intake for zinc. It's really easy to hit those metrics through food, but a lot of people automatically turn their eye to the supplement shelf. Definitely. And I love that whole foods first always. And I feel like I get so many questions every single day around supplements. So I love that we are both on the same boat in terms of supplementation. And it's sort of, you know, I like to think about it in terms of the triangle and the supplements sit right at the top, right at the pointy end. You've got to get your baseline and your foundations right first, which a lot of people don't want to do. You know, they want to take the pill or the powder or the supplement that gives them that little edge, but the rest of their diet and their exercise and their Lifestyle needs a whole lot of work first as well. So good to see we're on the same page there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Now, my last question for you is a little bit selfish on my behalf, but I would love to know with all of your research that you've been doing over these years, are we at the point where we can recommend prescription-based nutrition based on the phasal cycle that we're in? So almost like cycle syncing nutrition, are we there yet or do we have a little bit of a way to still go? I think we can start making some personalized personalized recommendations and pulling the cycle into play. Because again, every woman, every woman uh, responds differently across her cycle. So again, if you're getting the tracking and understanding where a woman is in her cycle and how she feels in particular phases, then yeah, you can definitely dial in nutrition to help. Um, But making general recommendations, I think, will never really come to pass because there's so many different confounding variables that come into it. Cycle length, um, progesterone estrogen ratios, and primarily the patriarchal lens that we sit under uh, across the board. And so there's going to be a lot of work yet to do to break through that male lens 
to be able to get those personalized recommendations and then get those recommendations based on menstrual cycle. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And just really quickly, um, we've mentioned tracking our cycling in the previous podcast as well. You said that was one of the best ways just to even see how you're feeling um, throughout different stages of your cycle. Is there any sort of apps you recommend or you old school, you know, just getting an exercise book and writing down sort of how you're feeling, how you're training, how you're sleeping throughout, throughout each day? Or is there a particular app that you're a little bit more of a you know, fan of? Uh, well, whatever works for you. Like I'm, I'm still one of the people that puts like a little star on the calendar because I very much am sticky note oriented. Uh, but the fitter woman app is a really fantastic app because it's designed for the athletic or active woman. It's not an ovulation predictor app. Um, but the clue hello clue app is also good because it has like this big red symbol like I'm ovulating or this is around ovulation. So you have a definitive mark between the phases. So one, like the Fitter Woman app gives you really good information from a training and nutrition perspective of, of how to implement different um, foods and training practices in the different phases. Um, but if you're just out to track and you don't really care about that information, then any app will do. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. All right. And finally, Dr. Stacy, I would love for you to leave our female listeners with two to three things that would help improve their health, well-being and training right now from a you know really specific female-based perspective. If you had two to three take-home messages um, that you really wanted to sort of um, drum home with our listeners today, what would they be? First is know where you are in your cycle. Um, so track your menstrual cycle. If you're on an OC, ask yourself why and and can you get off it or is there can you move to an IUD because all of that gives you the eye to that health platform. And the last one really is your period is an ergogenic aid for the fact that if you get your period, you know you're healthy. If you get your period and when you get your period, you know your hormones are dropping and have dropped so you can hit it hard. Um and we look at, at if you get your period and when you get your period, you know the length and duration of your cycle. So you can periodize your training and nutrition to work with your physiology and not against it. Wonderful. Love those take-homes. Now, for anybody listening at home who is absolutely just as obsessed with all your research in you as I am, and they said, you know, I'd love for Dr. Stacey to give me a consult. Do you offer sort of online worldwide consultations at all? Um, I do, but I am booked out really until March. Uh, so, I mean, I, I go through a lot of the information. If you're looking for more specific information of how to dial it in, um, I've put together this online course that really goes through it all. Like goes through the basic idea of the myths all the way through the details of science of the, uh, the different hormones. If you're pre-menopause, perimenopause, post-menopause, if you're on a pill, if you're not. Um, so a lot of people are getting a lot of personalized information that way as well. Um, but if you want to wait till March, I'm happy to take you on. Wonderful. And in terms of your book, does that work hand in hand with the course? Would you recommend starting with the book first and then the course or um, course first, then the book? Uh, so the book is, well, we're sitting about four years old now. And science changes and updates. So the book is a really good reference and, and resource and starting point. And then the course is catching up from where the book left off. So implementing more science, newer science, new research, new implementation, better case studies. Um, yeah. So read the book first. And then if you want more information, more details and and uh, want to dig a bit deeper into to science, then you can do the course or you can just follow the social media because we put out 
um, science-based tidbits every day. And for our listeners at home, maybe if they didn't listen to the first podcast, do you want to just um, let us know your website and your Instagram and your Facebook as well? Uh, Yeah. So social media is just Dr. Stacey Sims. um, And then the website is very similar, drstacysims.com. Wonderful. And if they just Google Dr. Stacey Sims, you'll come right up as well. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for all of your time, your knowledge and your expertise. Um, You are honestly changing the world one one period at a time. (laughs) And um, I know that our listeners today would have gotten absolutely so much out of this. So I can't thank you enough for your time and your your um, all your research and everything you've done for females worldwide as well. Thank you. And, you know, passing the word on podcasts and everything makes it so it hits so many more people. So thank you for having me and and giving me your time and your questions as well. Wonderful. And I would absolutely love to have you back on the podcast one day, um, particularly if you have any new exciting research in the next sort of few years as well. I'd love to have you back on even in a few months. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) Wonderful. Have a nice day. Thanks.